This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. In Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. Grace, 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 community, community, community and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Icon Church is great to be together yet again. We've been walking through the book of John and we've been looking at so many claims that Jesus makes about himself. And today we're gonna see uh, him calling or referring to himself as the good shepherd. And I think before we really dig into who he is as a shepherd, we need to ask the question. I'm gonna ask you the question. Are you a sheep? Are, Are you a sheep? Now that might strike you differently because in our culture, Uh, Being called a sheep is never a compliment. Being called a sheep is an insult. In our intensely individualistic culture, being called a sheep is is actually a a bad thing. As a matter of fact, the actual, we we have a word that applies to uh, people that we refer to as sheep. We call it sheeple, this portmanteau, right? This connection, this combination between sheep and people. And we call them sheeple. Webster's actually has a a, a perfect definition for it. People who are docile, compliant, or easily influenced. People likened to sheep. Usually this word is hurled as an insult, right? It's to describe, you know, we, we often will use it to yell at some undefined group of people, the world of social media, the world of, of blogging. Uh, they use it to refer to uh, an idiot who just follows a person or an ideology without knowing why. And oftentimes the question, or we can easily go, well, you guys are, you guys don't think about who you're following. You're just following aimlessly. You're just following without uh, researching. And listen, some of these things uh, are very legitimate. We can have legitimate critiques about bad information. Um, I am not exempt from this. I have huge problems when uh, I see people who are following bad information and then disseminating said bad information. Uh, It bothers me a lot because uh, bad information can lead to really bad practices, which can sometimes be a matter of life and death. And so that critique itself isn't necessarily bad, right? Looking at bad information. By the way, uh, this is just my own kind of aside. Uh, For those who are kind of trying to figure out good information, bad information, um, YouTube is never research alone. And it is never uh, sufficient to counter peer-reviewed academic research and studies. So please be very careful. Uh, That's just my side. It's not even the sermon. But please be be very careful about the information that we pass. But all that being said, that maybe I feel like that's a legitimate critique, right? You might feel like it's a legitimate critique. You might look at people who are following things without checking it first. And you might look at people who are sharing things without checking it first. You might look at people who are, I have a huge uh, problem with this. Look at people who are making assertions that's devoid of real logic. You might have all of that. You might be really frustrated. But is calling them sheep a fair critique? Is, is calling them sheep uh, the, the right critique. And I don't believe it is. And here's why. To focus your criticism of people who are, who are following bad information, to focus that on, on just the fact that they're followers, it assumes two things. That being a follower is bad and that you are not a follower. It assumes that being a follower is bad and that you 
are not a follower. You'll say things like, well, they just have a follower mentality. They're just sheep. They follow. They don't lead. They, they, the, the, that's why they hold the values or the views that they have. Unlike me, who is not a sheep, uh, I, I don't follow. I research. See, this critique is rooted in pride. It assumes that we ourselves are not followers. We're not sheep. But our text today shows that our greatest problem isn't that we're sheep. It basically presupposes that we are sheep. We're going to see that according to God, we indeed are sheep. Every human being living or who has passed has been or is a sheep. Our bigger problem, our greatest problem is that as sheep, we need to ensure that we follow the good shepherd. The issue is never about being a follower. The issue is never about being a sheep. The issue is who is our shepherd? And we all have one, maybe even multiples. Who is our shepherd? How do we know that we've, we've always been viewed as sheep? We, we can go back to the Old Testament, centuries, sometimes millennia before these verses were ever written. And you see how God talked about his people, how he talked about mankind. Jeremiah 56, my people were lost sheep. They're shepherds led them astray, guiding them the wrong way in the mountains. They wandered from mountain to hill. They forgot their resting place. Isaiah 53, 6, we all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. That's that Isaiah 53 passage where it talks about, it's this prophetic call to the Messiah that's coming. This idea that the Messiah is gonna come and he's bruised for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions and by his stripes we are healed. We've often talked about how we have to be careful not to view that as a, as a call or a promise for physical healing. But we know in context here, it's talking about the, want, the, the, the waywardness of the heart, this sin nature that wants to run and stray and rebel against God. So we have always been looked at as sheep, so much so that one of the most famous Psalms begins with what? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We are sheep. Now, about sheep. There are several things that have been written about sheep, people who have raised sheep for years and years and years. There's a lot of good study about it. I found several things that were interesting. One of the things we know about sheep is that they are creatures of habit that will follow a path through a desolate place and ignore excellent greenery, excellent foliage, even though it's not far away. That's a part of sheep. They will just graze. They will completely not even see what's actually good, and they'll be around things that are not, that are not healthy or not even uh, good for them to, to eat, good for them to be around. They could be around dangerous areas and have no idea. They are given, they are prone to listless wandering. That's sheep. They've even been known to walk into an open fire. There have been cases where sheep, just not really knowing real danger, walking right into an open flame. They can be timid. They can be stubborn. At times they can be frightened by, by silly things and other times they cannot be moved. They can be very helpless. There are cases where a sheep can accidentally roll on its back and be stuck there with its feet in the air. Now, I've never heard of sheep tipping. Uh, I've heard of cow tipping, but maybe that is a thing. Uh, but what we know is that they are so helpless that when they get on their back, it can be very difficult for them to be able to roll over. Sometimes they need a shepherd to come and roll it back over. Sheep are also defenseless. They have no way of protecting themselves. Ultimately, sheep 
need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. One of the things that happens with the sheep because of the way, they're, the way they see, many times they can be locked in on one thing. They're not even intentionally trying to leave the herd or leave the shepherd, but they're so locked in on something that while looking at this object or focusing on this object, the shepherd moves, the herd moves, and they are still stuck. And they don't even know that the shepherd has moved yet. Then finally, when they look, they realize that they're all alone. If that doesn't sound like who we are as humans, I don't know what is. Now, this is a picture of what God, this is a metaphor that God uses for us in the old and the new. Shepherds lead sheep. Sheep need a shepherd. We need someone who will lead us, lead them. The, she, the sheep need someone to lead them to food and to water, someone to protect them, someone to care for them when they're sick or when they're injured. And in many ways, sheep can be a lot like humans. At times we prove we're helpless. We prove that we're defenseless. We prove that sometimes we're a bit stupid. That's why this analogy of sheep is used. And the fact that we are in need of a shepherd is why so many times that language is used. Now, the shepherd of ancient Israel, when you think about how shepherds did life back then, how shepherds had to function, it was very different than now. Now we have uh, big businesses. Sheep farming is big business, large flocks, you know, lots of industry, modern equipment, different practices. But the, sh the shepherds of ancient Israel were very different from the ones we have in uh, America and the modern world. Modern shepherds will use uh, sheep dogs and, and drive their flocks in front of them. The ancient shepherds had smaller flocks and the ancient shepherd knew each of their sheep often by name. They would name each one. The sheep knew their shepherd. They knew their shepherd so well, they would follow him wherever he led. And when the shepherd was in the field, he could protect his sheep by putting them in a pen. In the King James, they called it a fold. Now these pens were very interesting because uh, you could have multiple shepherds that had multiple flocks, or I'm sorry, you'd have multiple shepherds that had flocks. And when the night would come, they would want to put the, sh the sheep in a safe place when they would go away to sleep or they would go away to go into town or whatever it is that they would do. There was a place that was almost like a, a sheep daycare, if you will, or a sheep overnight care. And so you would have these pens and you would have uh, shepherds that would come to these pens, bring their flocks over, and they would leave them overnight. It was a round enclosure that was made up of a fence of, of rocks, kind of like the, the rock wall that you would see, um, kind of rock walls that you will see on some of the old church buildings. You see these rock formations. You would see a pen that would be kind of set up that way. And so the sheep would be kind of led into this pen. There would be an opening to the enclosure, often called the gate. And in that enclosure, they would pass through and the, the shepherd would be able to go in and out of the gate to get his flock of sheep. And you normally would have one shepherd. If, if, uh, if this wasn't the same shepherd, you could have a different shepherd that might sleep in the gate, in the doorway to make sure that animals wouldn't come in to eat the sheep or in to, 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 dis, to keep people or dissuade evil folks from stealing the sheep. So understanding that gives us really good context for the language that Jesus uses here. And if the shepherd was in a more populated area, there would be a community pen door and it would be guarded by a gatekeeper. But you see that you'd have all these different flocks. And when the shepherd would return back to get the flock, only the sheep that knew his voice would be the ones that would come out. So this gives us a big, a great picture for how Jesus begins to play out who we are, who the sheep are specifically for this audience that he's talking to. So 
let's, let's walk in. We're going to walk through John chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 through 21. And I want you to see uh, the ways in which Jesus describes the good shepherd and also what good sheep look like. Again, we are not bad or wrong for being sheep. We are created as sheep. We need to understand who the good shepherd is. So let's read John 10 verses 1 through 21. Truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all of his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the rights to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from my Father. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon, and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who was demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When you look at these passages, you can't, but, you can't help but notice the fact that we all are looked at as sheep by Jesus. God clearly makes it abundantly evident that we are sheep. We are followers. We are created to follow but we're created to follow the good shepherd. So you look at these first six verses where Jesus uh, lays out the way that a shepherd, a good shepherd functions and how good sheep function. You have to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the same group that we just saw in John chapter nine. He's talking to these religious leaders who would refuse to believe that Jesus had just done this unthinkable miracle. He just healed this man of blindness, a man who had been blind from birth, we talked about that last week and how the things that Jesus started to say to them, remember at the very end, because they wouldn't believe and they were frustrated and he was telling them that only the blind can see and only the, those who think they can see are blind. And, and remember they said that after he, or he responded to them and saying, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Well, right after that, now Jesus begins to talk about being a good shepherd. He's using this analogy to describe their blindness. 
You see, they understood what Jesus was saying. They, were, they understood shepherd culture. They understood what it means uh, to be a good shepherd. They knew what it meant when he talked about caring for the sheep. They would have understood that anybody who climbs over that wall, that rock formation to get the sheep, clearly would be a thief or a robber. They understood how that worked. They knew that a person who would want to not go through the gate but jump over, that's somebody who doesn't want to be recognized by the guard. That's somebody who has uh, untoward motives in getting uh, the sheep. They knew that a shepherd uses the door uh, to the pen or to the fold. They knew all of that. They also would have understood that the sheep would know the voice of their shepherd. They probably have seen it uh, countless times and that in that community, right? They knew that the sheep would only come to uh, the shepherd that, uh, with whom they were familiar. These are things that they know. They, they also knew how to care for sheep. But what they didn't understand was that the application of this analogy should have really been to themselves. They knew all of these things, but they didn't know that Jesus was talking uh, about them with this analogy. If they had thought through what they should have known from several Old Testament analogies, which was their Bible, all the things that we saw throughout the Old Testament about these analogies about shepherds, some we already looked at, analogies about shepherds and sheep and God and Israel, they should have understood this point, this metaphor that Jesus was using. But the reality of Jesus's comments at the end of chapter nine are still true here. Those things kept them from understanding. They claimed to be the kinds of people who could see and lead people in the ways of God, but they were in fact blind to the truth of God. In other words, you cannot be a shepherd or an under shepherd, and we'll talk about that in a minute. You can't be a shepherd until you're a sheep. You, there's no way that you if, you, if the shepherd entrusts you as an under shepherd to care for the flock, you can't do that unless you've been a sheep, unless you are a sheep. And Jesus is showing them they're not sheep because they really don't know who the shepherd's voice actually is. They were supposed to be under shepherds, but they were bad sheep. And a bad sheep always makes a bad shepherd. A bad sheep will always make an evil shepherd. The Old Testament warned of evil and worthless shepherds. The first part of Ezekiel 34, the Lord's condemnation of the priests who were supposed to shepherd the people, but instead they were exploiting them. Ezekiel uh, says this, thus says the Lord, woe shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat without feeding the flock. That same theme in Jeremiah 23, one, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. We see Zechariah denouncing uh, many of these leaders in the same way. Zechariah 11, woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. And also added here is they're evil in abandoning the flock instead of protecting it. We're going to see this in, in a few verses down, verses 12 and 13. You notice that when he says the hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming and the wolf snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and he doesn't care for the sheep. We are not called to not be sheep. We are called to identify faithful shepherds. And it starts with knowing the good shepherd. That's the point of being a sheep. That's the ultimate goal in being a sheep. And we see Jesus bear this out. And again, in the Old Testament, we see other places. Numbers 27, you see Moses praying for the Lord to appoint a man over the congregation to lead them so that they won't be like sheep who have no shepherd. Israel had a lot of good shepherds, but they also had many evil and false ones. 
Zechariah pointed that out in chapter 10, verse 2. He said, he talked about some of those false shepherds uh, and said, uh, he described them as people who see lying visions and tell false dreams and they comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflict- afflicted because there is no shepherd. This is where I want to say this. <clears throat> when we look at the idea of a shepherd, it's hard for us to wrap our head around now because, again, we love our individuality. We take great pride in arriving at positions on our own. We take great pride in being able to see things for ourselves, determine things for ourselves. We don't like the idea of anybody else determining or pointing to truth without us arriving there first or on our own. And then if we happen to be in the same place, great, we agree, but I got there on my own. And so we look at the idea of following someone's a little bit uh, different. And, And this is where the danger comes. Because there are folks who are bad shepherds and they have bad information and they lead us into places that God is not. But more often than not, the worst shepherds are ourselves. We take great pride in leading ourselves. We have a lot of confidence in our individual agency and our ability to discern truth. But if our pursuit of truth is done apart from being led by the shepherd, We deceive ourselves. We don't think we need a shepherd because that would make us sheep. So we become our own shepherds. Listen, you cannot lead yourself. You cannot protect yourself. You cannot feed yourself. You're a sheep. The moment you believe you can shepherd yourself, you just become a lost sheep. But you're a sheep nonetheless. And lost sheep with a voice and a platform can easily become a false and an evil shepherd. So we need to be careful. You look at verses seven through 10, and Jesus really doubles down on this point. Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. We mentioned earlier how a shepherd would often uh, lay down in the doorway to protect and make sure that uh, the sheep would not be uh, uh, preyed upon by predatory animals. And now you see Jesus alluding to the Old Testament prophecies of God, protecting his people and providing good pasture uh, for them. See, Jesus is clearly talking about this spiritual idea and that he offers salvation to all who enter through him. You see, you can't enter by jumping over the gate. You can't enter by jumping over the wall. You can't enter by sneaking your way in. You can only enter by going into the door, the door that is guarded by the shepherd, by the gatekeeper. There is no real salvation outside of Jesus. There is no real protection outside of Jesus. There is no real nourishment outside of Jesus. There is no quenching of thirst outside of Jesus. This is Jesus's charge against the Pharisees. And what he's telling them is that they are the thieves now. They are the robbers now. That's why in verse eight, when he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, not were thieves and robbers. Jesus is dealing with the past and this very present reality. In addition, Jesus makes this charge against the Pharisees and other religious leaders of that day. Then he comes to this place where he says, I came to give life and life in abundance or life abundantly. This call, sometimes we take this out of context 
Many times we think this is a promise to material wealth and health. This has nothing to do with that. Could we get those things? Absolutely. Praise be to God. Our health, we thank God for that. If, you, if we're able to have money and material things, we're thankful and we want to use that to the glory of God. But that is not the promise. The promise of living life abundantly has nothing to do with material wealth. It doesn't mean an easy life. It's not the promise of health or wealth. It's, it's not a call for foolishness. Right now, many have foolishly believed that this abundant life is this biblical promise that, that in today's world of the pandemic, that God will keep them from getting sick. Many times, especially right now, you'll see people say things like, well, Jesus is covering me and the, the blood still works. And listen, no one is doubting that the blood still works. But what we also know is that foolishness still works. The blood has nothing to do with keeping us safe from disease. It has everything to do with reconciling us to a holy God so that we have deep abiding joy regardless of our circumstances. We can actually have deep abiding joy in the midst of our temporal situation. That's the thing we have to hold to. So sometimes we're making foolish decisions and we call ourselves pleading the blood when Jesus is pleading the fifth. He didn't say that. He didn't promise that. And yet we're walking in foolishness. Why? Because either we've believed the wrong shepherd or we're shepherding ourselves falsely. That's not what a sheep does. And so you see uh, this, this idea of abundant life should actually lead us to a place that says abundant life is about the quality of life that is brought when we live in personal loving relationship with our Lord Jesus. It's this life that's filled with the abundance of God's grace, the abundance of God's loving kindness. It's filled with the abundance of eternal purpose and, and meaning. It's filled with a life of, of joy, love, peace. We see that the scripture says happiness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. That is the kingdom of God. And so there's got to be something that gives us a deep abiding thing that is not tied to. It's not uh, uh, dependent on our circumstances alone. There's got to be something that takes us deeper. And the only thing that does that is the good shepherd. And so when we think through what it means to follow the good shepherd, one of the things we see, Jesus makes it clear, a true shepherd knows their sheep and the sheep know their shepherd. They're known individually. They're called by name. They respond to him. This is how Jesus interacts with us. Jesus reveals that his relationship to God, the father works in the same way. They know each other intimately. So here's what this means really quickly. To be fully known is to be fully loved. Jesus loves us fully, so much so that he laid his very life down for us. Sheep need a shepherd like this. In the same way as he talks about what it means to be this kind of a shepherd and how Jesus is the good shepherd, he shows those that actually are invited to be sheep uh, and, and to be shepherded by Jesus. He actually shows what that means. And you look at verse 16 and it's such good news. It should be good news. He says, but I have other sheep. They are not from the sheep pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This used to be such a curious passage. Growing up, learning the King James Version, I would always hear this and I'd always say, uh, Jesus would say, I have sheep of another fold. And uh, I remember different people would preach and say, maybe this means that Jesus has aliens out there. And maybe this means that Jesus has some other race of creatures elsewhere. I mean, people, when we don't have good shepherds teaching, we come up with a lot of crazy things. Also, it helps when we have language that, uh, that is more contemporary. So we understand the sheep of another fold simply meant Jesus has sheep in other pens, 
other holding areas where other under shepherds have put have placed them uh, in order to be protected and to be kept safe while while they were uh, gone through throughout the night. And so what Jesus is talking about, keep in mind, he's talking to Jewish people here. This would have blown their mind. He's adding something that would have shocked them. And it was incredible news to those who were not Jewish. Because up to that point, people thought, well, the only people who are going to be truly, who can call God father, the only people who can look at him as a shepherd are those who have the heritage, that have the DNA, that have the family connection. They must be uh, uh, ethnically tied to the, the children of Israel, ethnically tied to Abraham. And what Jesus says is, talking to these Jewish leaders, not only do you not know me, not only do you not hear my voice, not only are you not a sheep, not only are you not a, a and not only are you a bad, evil shepherd, but the people you think belong in the fold, the people you think belong uh, under God, they're actually larger than you think because God is not a respecter of heritage. He's not a respecter of DNA. He's not a respecter of family history or otherwise. Everyone who hears his voice is able to become his sheep. So do you see why being a sheep is never a bad thing? Being a sheep is something we should be excited about. Being a sheep is something we should be proud of. I was born to follow something, and I'm so thankful that I can follow the good shepherd. I'm so thankful that I can follow Jesus. How do I know that he's worthy of being followed? How do I know that he's worthy of being trusted? Verses 17 and 18. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. We know we can trust him because Jesus proves his authority. You see, every good shepherd, every good under shepherd that's ever come before him, at some point they died. Whatever authority they had, ended. Whatever ability they had, ended. The voice that they had, ended. Whatever power they had, ended. And Jesus says, the father loves me, the father is the one who has given me the authority. And not only am I a good shepherd, I'm going to prove to you just how good I am. I'm not just the good shepherd. I am the perfect and holy shepherd. And, the, and what's going to prove my perfection is not just that I'm going to die because everybody dies. I have the authority and the power to take up my life again. I will be resurrected again. There is nothing that authenticates the good shepherd more than his resurrection. His words were incredible. His acts were incredible. His miracles were incredible. But the one thing that authenticates more than anything else is the fact that he had the power to escape death. He had the power to conquer death. This, is, this makes him trustworthy. He can raise himself up. And he makes these statements. He says these things. And you, you have to almost understand what this would have meant for some of them. And the scripture says in verses 19 through 21, and the Jews were divided again because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. We talked about this, right? The, one of the best things you can do to invalidate somebody who might be saying something you don't like is to call him crazy. One of the best things you can do to invalidate someone's experience is to call them crazy. Well, here, they're wanting to invalidate the very claims, these authoritative claims that Jesus is making 
this idea that, that they understood that shepherd was only applied to God and Jesus is calling himself the shepherd. Yet again, Jesus is making a claim to his divinity and he's making a claim to his ability to be able to forgive sin and his ability to be able to cover and his ability to be able to heal blindness. They don't like that. That doesn't jive well with whatever truth they sought out as individual sheep, right? The, the, the fact that they decided to stray and the fact that they decided to create truth on their own. And matter of fact, not even sheep. They didn't want to see themselves as sheep. They wanted to see themselves as something else, something that is independent. And so Jesus didn't meet their expectations of what their independent truth told them. And so now they're looking and go, instead of weighing the claims that he's making, he must be crazy. He must have a demon. In the rule of logic, one of the, one of the worst things you can do when, when someone makes an argument you don't like is to make an ad hominem attack. Ad hominem is Latin. That simply means to the man. Instead of weighing what you say, I'd rather just uh, uh, critique and impugn your character. Therefore, if I can impugn your character well, if I can assassinate your character, then I can prove that we don't need to hear what you have to say. See, that isn't logically handling a real argument. And so they do that. Others were saying though, these aren't the words of someone who is demon possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So you still had people who were looking and saying, no, we've got to weigh the rest of the circumstantial evidence. You can say he has a demon, but we've never seen anybody by the power of a demon ever heal people. We've never seen people do miracles. We've never seen people heal the blind. We've never seen people raise someone from the dead. And so there's division there. This goes back to something we've, we've brought up before. Please don't make the mistake. And this is something I think happens because again, we start seeking out truth on our own and we make big aphorisms and big quotable statements that sound good, but are horribly false. The idea that in order for Jesus to be good, he can't be divisive. That's not, that's not true. It's not biblical. Truth is always divisive and it should be because we have, we are sheep that are prone to stray, which means there are truths that we hold to that are likely untrue. There are things that we hold to that are likely false. And when Jesus brings objective truth into our lives, it should cause some division. It should cause something that goes, wait a minute, that's, that's counter to what it is that I've thought that's counter the, to the way that I've lived. Said it before and I'll say it again. We can be united in the wrong thing and divided in the right thing. And this is something that Jesus does. He, he drops this truth bomb, doesn't even have to defend anymore, just drops it, leaves it there. And people are just clamoring, trying to figure out what it means. You've got folks who are going, some people I believe are listening and going, oh my goodness, this might be the shepherd that I've been looking for this entire time. That's what happens for all of us who truly come to faith in Jesus at some point or maybe over a period of time. We may not be able to pinpoint the, the time exactly, but over a period of time. And I would say even throughout our entire lives, we are always being barraged with messages and, and quote unquote truths. And we're barraged with ideas and worldviews. And the only way to be able to kind of uh, me, uh, uh, man, not manipulate, but be able to handle those things and to be able to walk through those things and to be able to uh, make real good sense of those things is to be able to kind of look at that through the eyes of our shepherd, not just through the eyes of us as sheep. So in, in, when, when we see this, we have to understand Jesus makes some really bold claims about who we are in him and who we are as sheep. Number one, God's sheep are able to hear Jesus's voice. And through him, 
they can become part of his flock. Why? Because they're humble enough to recognize their need and they yield themselves to the commands of the shepherd. If you don't think you're a sheep, you can't possibly know the shepherd. If you don't think you're a sheep, you can't possibly, possibly be led by the shepherd. And if you don't think you're a sheep, you likely believe of yourself as a shepherd. See, the Pharisees were this. The Pharisees didn't understand because they were spiritually blind. They couldn't recognize the shepherd's voice because they began to just listen to their own voice as if they were the shepherd. Jesus is not just the shepherd. Jesus is the door, that pen where there's safety, that pen where there's uh, uh, this idea of being watched over and cared for. Jesus is the door. What does that mean? That means that you, me, we cannot have real uh, victory. We cannot have the bondage of our sin broken except through him. He is the door. Only Jesus can give you the abundant life of having your sin forgiven, this incredible relationship with God and this loving, holistic relationship with each other for now and for eternity. Jesus is that door. And Jesus is the good shepherd. He protects, he provides for his sheep. He's proven his love for his sheep. He's laid his life down for them. He's proven the truth of his promise by taking his life again and taking it up and rising from the dead. Jesus is the good shepherd. So here are the questions. Are you a sheep? Is he your shepherd? If so, let's follow him together. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you point out the things about ourselves that uh, are inaccurate, the things that we might think that are false, the confidence that we place in things that are misplaced. God, I pray that you would indeed give us um, a deep and increasing awareness of all the ways that we are seeking our own truth on our own terms in our own way and not through the way that is led by the shepherd. Father, I pray that we would never find ourselves in the situation where we are lost sheep. And I pray that we would never become false shepherds, evil shepherds. I pray that we would have uh, an awareness. I pray that we would have a way in which we can see what true shepherding looks like. So God, ultimately, I'm praying that you would show us yourself. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us increasingly. God, any direction that we're going, Father, any place in our lives where we have sin, that's a place where we're going in a different direction. Any place where we have sin, that's a place where we're following a different shepherd, likely ourselves. So Father, will you mute, will you silence the voice of these false shepherds in our heart? Silence them and then increase your voice as the good shepherd. Father, we want to follow you. We want to follow you not just because of what we can get from you, but Lord, from who, for, for who you already are. You're a shepherd that loves us, protects us, you promise not only to remake us now, but to make things all new and right again. And so God, I pray that today we would take great joy, great pride in being sheep or being sheeple, not because of uh, just we love being followers, that's great, but because we follow the great shepherd, we follow our Lord, we follow our savior, we are following God himself. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
This is a time that we love to invite uh, all, of, uh, all of you who want to be able to partake in what we just said, what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be uh, a part of that fold what it means to be a part of the church, Big C, this massive uh, group body of believers. And so one of the things that Jesus did uh, when, when, uh, when he was instituting this practice of communion, uh, he, he did something really interesting. Here we are, we've got folks who are celebrating Passover. They've done this every year. They spent time every year celebrating the Passover and there would come a time where they would have massive Passover meals And Jesus is looking uh, down at them and he realizes that he knows that he's getting ready to change something once and for all for them. This idea of the Passover, this idea of remembering the ways in which God, their great shepherd, protected them from the angel of death. God, their great shepherd, provided for them. God, he gave them safety and eventually gave them an escape. And so they are remembering every year, year after year, all the ways in which the good shepherd proved himself to be a good shepherd. And now Jesus is looking thousands of years later, looking down at them and looking at this meal. And he's telling us something that he's telling us this very day, that if we don't see him as our great shepherd, if we don't see ourselves as sheep desperately in need of a great shepherd, this meal isn't for us. And this isn't even about what it means to be a part of a a club or what it means to be a part of the right church. This simply means we are proclaiming what it means to follow the good shepherd. And we're doing this not because we have it all together and we're doing this not because we have everything perfect. We're doing this because we see ourselves as sheep desperately in need of our shepherd over and over and over again. So if this is true for you, then however you've chosen to partake in this, this meal is for you. This this communion table is for you. Jesus didn't come for the people who think they can see. He came for the people who are blind. He didn't come for the people who think that they're shepherds. He came for the people that are sheep. And so when we partake of this, we are proclaiming something huge. We're proclaiming something that should bring mourning. I can see all the ways that maybe this week, this very day, I have functioned like a sheep that has run astray. I can see the ways in which I have chosen to follow myself as shepherd or other people as shepherd and not Jesus as the good shepherd. And I'm broken by that. And I move to a place where I'm not only just broken and saddened by it, but I move to a place of repentance, a place in which I want to, a place to which I want to run away. I want to run away from those sins. I want to run away from that way of thinking. I want to run away from that heart posture. If that is where you are, then this meal is for you. If that's not where you are, if you feel like that maybe Jesus is a good shepherd, but one of many good shepherds. And maybe Jesus gives you a few things. Maybe you see Jesus as someone that gives you a few good gold nuggets to add to your little manual on how you can be a good shepherd of yourself. Then let this time pass. Again, not because uh, you're not in the club, but because Jesus wants to meet you exactly where you are. He wants to meet you as the sheep that you really are. And so our prayer would be that he would actually show you, reveal to you your sheepness so that you realize your need for the shepherd. So maybe even take this time to pray, Lord, I don't know what's true. I don't know if this is where you are. I don't know if this is true, but if this is, he says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And and if we ask for wisdom, he will give it to us. So God, give me wisdom on this. Give, answer my prayer. Show me who you are. Show me who I am to you. 
And our prayer is that maybe this would be the first time that you partake of communion as a member of the fold, as a member of the family of God. On that night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave thanks for the Passover meal. Then he picked up the bread. He took it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat of it. And then in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, the blood poured out for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. The Apostle Paul reminds us that as often as we do this, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And so when we come and we take his body and we take his blood and we take that time to remember what he's done for us, we don't just remember what he's done for us. We also rejoice in who he is for us. And we mourn the ways in which he needed to come but we rejoice in the ways that say we are so thankful that he is coming to make all things new yet again. This is our joy. This is our hope. This is his promise. This is who our good shepherd is. Let's do God's benediction together now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God, our savior be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. And all of God's people and all of God's sheep said, amen. God bless you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.